Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you would take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th 36 years ago, the people of Delaware gave me, uh, as they've given you in your states, a rare and sacred opportunity to serve them. As I said, after the accident, I was prepared to walk away in 1973 from that opportunity. But men like Ted Kennedy and Mike Mansfield and Hubert Humphrey and Fritz Hollings, Danny and Oway, they convinced me to stay. To stay six months, Joe. Remember, Danny? Just stay six months. And one of the true giants of the Senate and thank God is still with us, Robert C. Byrd, without any fanfare in late December in a cold driving rain, drove to Wilmington, Delaware, stood outside a memorial service in a Catholic church for my deceased wife and daughter, got soaking wet in that cold rain, never once came to see me, just to show his respect, got back in the automobile and drove back to Washington, D.C., It's a remarkable place, gentlemen, ladies. And as I healed, this place became my second family. More than I suspected is for most, I needed it. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Forever grateful. So to the people of Delaware who have given me the honor of serving them, there's no way I can ever, ever express to them how much it's meant to me. To my staff, past and present, and all those here on the floor, past and present, dedicated to making this institution run, including the young pages who come wide-eyed and hopefully go home, wanting to come back someday in our spots. I thank you for everything you've done for me. I suspect you've done for me more than we've done for most. My children, Hunter and Ashley and Bo, if I was nothing else, I'd be content to be the father of such wonderful people. My grandchildren who constantly remind me why the decisions we make in this august body are so important. And to my Jill, you once saved my life. You are my life today. I thank all of you. I thank all of my colleagues for making my Senate service possible and this next chapter in my career and life so hopeful. I came here to fight for civil rights. My, in my office now sits that grand conference table that once was used to fight against civil rights. And I leave here today to begin my service to our nation's first African-American president.
And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And the words you're hearing tonight is from a legend in Washington, D.C., Vice President Joe Biden. And tonight we shine the spotlight on Joe Biden, his history, his accomplishments, his vigor, his strength, his leadership, and his example of what it means to be an American patriot. Tonight we are seen upon the steps of our nation's capital and at the feet of the White House as we honor Vice President Joe Biden. Hang with us, folks. We're getting ready to take off here on AJC Radio. And ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, William Williams. And tonight we take a look into the life and the legend of Joe Biden. And uh, Lisa, as we were talking prior to the show tonight, Vice President Biden is a man who I have come to respect uh, a great deal over the years. Uh, His courage, his leadership in the United States Senate, uh, and also the Vice President of the United States, all that he has endured All that he has gone through speaks volumes to the man tonight. We will get a look at the man of Vice President Joe Biden. Lisa, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think Joe Biden is an an excellent excellent example. He's been an excellent example of a father, of a husband to many people out there. He's just been a very very strong man. I think that a lot of people could look up to. He's He's had a lot of tragedy in his life, but he has stood tall, and he's been an example of how to stand tall in the face of adversity. And I think he's just an an awesome, awesome man. He's been a great vice president, and I think he's just someone to really, really hold in high esteem in every way. And you also, uh, you know, you look at Joe Biden, and you look at him just as, uh, you know, outside of his political career, you look at him as as the man, and we often say here on uh, Spotlight on Capitol Hill, that is who the person is as a person, that we take into account as well. And, and Joe Biden, I mean, if no, if nobody knows anything else about Joe Biden, is he will speak his mind. He will say exactly uh, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't hold back for anyone. And that is something that you have to appreciate, that you have to respect, especially from a, a political standpoint. Because most politicians, they try to frame their words to, you know, say exactly. Uh, what they think people want to hear. Joe Biden is a man who says what he feels, and uh, you know whether that is no. speculated to be right or wrong. It, it's what he feels, and you have to respect a person who can say exactly what they feel and then let the chips fall where they may. Well, on, on the on the difference, on the flip side of that, what you have with Congressman, um, excuse me, uh, Vice President Biden is one very particular clear point. Uh, the things that this uh, Vice President has suffered, the life challenges that is that has confronted this man, most people, could they continue to do their job under those, under those extreme circumstances? Those are things that raise very, very high questions. To me, it speaks to the, to the integrity of the man. And I'll tell you right now, how many of us could lose our, our, our wife, uh, our daughter, uh, with that tragedy back in 1973, his son's injured, could walk away and walk from that and say I'm still going to serve the people of the United States of America that speaks to the integrity of the man William your thoughts on that? Yeah, it speaks to his character I think that's what uh, 
is probably the most awesome thing about looking at this man, and we're going to cover him a lot more, but looking at just the material that we have in hand, you're talking about someone that has a lot of character. And he, you know, Cliff pointed it out, he is not afraid to say, this is who I am, this is what I stand for. It's not going to be bought. It's not going to, I'm not going to sway. I'm going to say what's on my mind and in my heart and, and just let the chips fall where it may. And so when you really look at this guy, um, I mean, he is a powerhouse. Everything about him says I'm a winner. I stand firm. I stand strong. I have character. I have integrity. And it's, it's, really, it's really amazing to see that this kind of person has spent the bulk of his life serving our government as a senator from Delaware and now as, as our vice president since 2008, um, the humility that he has to say, I am going to, I am here to be a part of history as the vice president of the first African-American president of the United States. I'm going to sit here and be second seat. I'm going to be man up if something's happened, but I am proud to take this role and to, and basically sit here at sure. this man's side. No, absolutely. And uh, tonight, ladies and gentlemen of America, we're going to dig into that. Uh, again, uh, as you know, Cliff, Lisa, William, uh, Vice President Biden has decided not to run for the presidency of the United States. Uh, he has made that decision. Uh, I think some people are relieved, not in a way that uh, the, the vice president would not make a excellent president. 37 years in the U.S. Senate, 36 years in the United States Senate. Uh, his experience speaks for itself. Uh, was the chair of the Judiciary Committee on other committees. We're going to dig into all of that tonight. And I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen of America, the folks of Delaware definitely got it right with uh, Vice President uh, Joe Biden uh, during his, his elected uh, years uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, I think President Obama did an outstanding job selecting him uh, as his uh, vice president. Uh, man, I've come to respect him in so many different ways. Um, and we're going to hear from him on different things. And, uh, folks, this is going to be a good one. Uh, hang on to your seats tonight. We will dig into the light and take a look and shine the spotlight, which is very easy to do with a man of, the, of his stature, and that is to show the American people that Vice President Biden, we appreciate uh, his service to this country. Uh, his, I, I think we talked about William before and the other night doing our show on domestic violence, uh, that uh, Vice President uh, Biden, uh, was behind the Stop the Violence Against Women Act. That was his baby. He started the foundation uh, of that years ago, over 20 years ago, and it has come to full fruition now and uh, speaks a lot to uh, his concern. And I think he made the statement in the opening, Cliff, Cliff, uh, Cliff and Lisa as well. He was talking about uh, what motivates him is his family, his grandchildren, uh, those that will uh, be in this country long after Mr. Biden is gone. Uh, 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 Vice President Biden is gone, his children. And we said this before on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. There are people in Congress that are molding not only today, but they are molding a culture. They are creating a culture uh, for our children, our children's children, and to keep the legacy of the United States of America going. And uh, all we can do tonight is salute uh, uh, Vice President Biden. We're going to do that tonight. And uh, we are very, very fortunate to have such an honorable person uh, to uh, we, for us to feature here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Lisa, can you read the folks our disclaimer, please? Absolutely. We just want to remind everyone that we're not attorneys and that a just cause does not provide legal advice. You want to contact your own personal legal advisor for your legal needs. 
Also, the opinions expressed by callers and guests do not necessarily reflect that of a just cause or HAC radio. And as always, we want to thank you for tuning in and spending, choosing to spend a little time with us this evening. All right, and thank you for that, Lisa. And uh, some good things going on here. Uh, we're going to t- touch on a couple of current news events. Uh, Cliff, I'm not sure if you had an opportunity to see this today. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security Officer of the Inspector General has sent a stern warning to the Secret Service. Here we go again with the Secret Service falling asleep and taking naps. Uh, and this is what it goes on to say. Uh, it says here that two officers were caught napping at their post, saying that agents are overworked and creating a security risk. The management alert, which was sent to Secret Service Director Joe Clancy this week, came after two incidents over the summer in which officers, one of whom was at the White House, were found to be asleep on the job. I'll tell you right now, folks, you know, I have a tendency to get five-hour energy uh, in the moments of uh, my exhaustion. But I'll tell you, these men are set to protect the president and this has, of the United States. This has nothing to do with being overworked. <laughs> this, is, this is idleness. They weren't overworked when they were, uh, where were they at? Brazil, Colombia? They were at Brazil. Uh, buying hookers and getting or high. Colombia. They, they weren't overworked. Now they want to say, oh, well, we're we're overworked. It's not enough of us. Uh, our schedule is stupid. The Secret Service, you have one job. Well, protect uh, the president. You have to protect. And here's the problem. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the CIA, the Secret Service, the, these, are, these are entities of government that we believe to be the elite. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Top Gun. Uh, those were the best of the best. Our consensus is that we have the best of the best protecting our president. Given the threat of ISIS in this country, you are asleep on the job. Well, if they didn't take naps on the job, they couldn't accidentally let someone get into the president's uh, living quarters. Well, they were awake that night. They just chose to look the other way. Yeah, That's but they just, every time you look up, there's accidentally someone getting too close to our president and his family. Then then stand the reason. Give me a break. It said here they were discovered while officials from the Inspector General's office were touring facilities as part of an ongoing review of Secret Service radio communications, and both officers were referred by the Secret Service for disciplinary action. According wow. to the alert, one of the officers had worked nearly 60 hours of overtime in the two weeks prior to the incident. Uh, it said Secret Service employees described that as minimal compared to other officers' schedules. The officer told investigators that long hours travel and illness contributed to falling asleep. In particular, he cited a 36-hour shift involving a trip to Kenya. Uh, he goes so, further to say... Wait, wait, wait. So he's counting the fact... Well, he sleeps 36 what, hours on a plane. Can't well, you sleep? That's what I'm saying. It takes 20 hours to get to Kenya. So is he calling so that part sitting, of the... You're not awake the entire time yeah. you're on the but, plane. But, but see, this is on Air Force One. So I'm I'm assuming that that was not like on United. Well, right? I, look, we've traveled United. We sleep pretty good on United, Lisa, don't we? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, look, if you're on Air Force One, you're in the lap of luxury. Just turn on uh, the Smith's... Smithsonian Channel, you'll see some investigations on Air Force One. He says here the other officers reported regularly working 12-hour days. The officer blaming work, blamed working in the heat and a lack of water. Uh, I was Lisa, we've been to Washington, D.C., and on the corners, <laughs> folks are selling water and hot dogs and everything else in Washington, D.C. Yeah, but you're talking about yeah. it is fall in Washington, D.C. 
it's like you're you're sitting around San Diego. There's no humidity this time of year. It's 72 degrees, a light breeze. What well, it is is he got to relax well, and took a nap. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they were talking about this. That this just recently happened. I thought it was happening earlier in the summer. Uh, the humidity just left the the, the corridors of Washington D.C. So, not an excuse. That humidity is absolutely insane uh, in Washington. But at the same time, there are people, military soldiers, that are trained to stand all night. But I think they call it CQ. Is that what it's called? Anybody? No military folks here. Uh, I believe it's called when they have CQ. Uh, that's something that uh, they're standing long hours overnight. And they're not they're not uh, ordered or in a position to guard the president of the United States. Well, I think the thing that stands out to me is that uh, in this with this administration, they've had more problems with Secret Service. Now, which is yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's it's a, I mean, that's that's really kind of one of the things that really kind of concerned me. I don't I don't remember uh, any of the Bushes having problems with their Secret Service. I don't remember Reagan having problems with with Secret Service on his watch. Uh, this this president sure. has has been, is the first. Uh, he's the one that has taken the most threats. Uh, I think recently we saw this, that, that um, Secret Service had reported that this had been the one president that had been threatened the most. Yeah. So, uh, but all of a sudden, you know, you got people running around in the White House lawn. You know? Well, well, I'll tell you what. Let's just call it what it is. Uh, Barack Obama, for folks, sit down if you're not sitting. Is black. Uh, what? Uh, that has a little bit to do, or quite a bit to do, with the problems. And the history of the United States, the Secret Service, the F, the, the the CIA, these folks that are surrounded by the, by the you know to the president or whatever. Again, your point well taken. It doesn't happen in any administration on right. this level. So you have to call it what it is. Yeah, this is the first African American president. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, you can you know you can draw your own inferences to that. It's unacceptable. It, it just is unacceptable. It goes further on to say um, that uh, regardless of these two incidents, scheduling and staffing issues were not contributing factors to the misconduct, and this is apparently a allegations of overwork. I guess this is a response uh, from the uh, Secret Service. Regarding these two incidents, scheduling and staffing issues were not contributing factors to the misconduct by these officers, nor do they serve as excuse for their behavior. The statement said in both instances the officers had sufficient days off prior to the incident. And it says here, but several Secret Service officers asked about conditions such as 12-hour shifts for 13 days have told CNN, and this has come from CNN News, uh, such workloads are not unusual. Says goes further as we conclude, the Inspector General's office is working on a broader review that includes workload and morale after a string of Secret Service embarrassments, including an incident which a man jumped the fence and mm-hmm. ran across the White House North Lawn, making it all the way inside the residence through an mm-hmm. unlocked door. Wow. Clancy, who became Secret Service Director in February, has vowed to turn the agency around, and it has been actively recruiting new officers. I can tell you right now, Mr. Clancy, you will be before Congress, and you will be answering uh, the tough questions why our president continues to be, to be at risk. At risk. At risk. The, the, a door unlocked and ran across. How do you, look, you can go down to Crenshaw Street. This was person not in California, but in Ohio. You know, Leave your door. We, people have common sense to lock the door. This is the most powerful office in the world, well, and his door is unlocked. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here shocked because, I mean, the White House lawn, they show that, right? <laughs> I mean, beautiful, open, open lawn. So this is almost like a man running 
foot. A hundred yards? A football field. A football field and yeah. some change. But it's open. It's not like he, he can run from tree to tree. It's not like he's tree. hiding behind bushes. Yeah, yeah. He is openly running track. Yes. On he's the White French. House line to the residents and to the door. <laughs> Folks, you can read more about the CIA and Secret Service and all this nonsense that's going on. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on to your seats right now in Washington, D.C. I want to announce to you in the United States of America, fall has arrived. It's 70 degrees, mostly cloudy in New York City, partly cloudy, 70 degrees. Los Angeles, 75 and sunny, but right here in the Rocky Mountain, Colorado Springs, it is 49 degrees and cloudy. And ladies and gentlemen, we feel it. Hang on to your seats. Go get your patriotic flag. Put it out. Put some mom's good old apple pie on the table as we get all American tonight. As we take a look and we shine the light on Vice President Joe Biden, a legend who occupies our nation's capital. We will shine the light on him, and it's going to be a good one. Folks, hang on to your seats. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday kicks off when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen of America, the month of October happens to be the National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, an issue that is crippling America, destroying families, and shattering homes. Today we take a moment to reflect and to remember the victims of domestic violence. We want you to know there is a way out. Ron Legrand in Washington, D.C., the Vice President of the National Network to End Domestic Violence, has set out on a journey to execute change. That is about saving lives, saving mothers, saving daughters, saving friends from the cruelty of domestic violence. We ask that if you have any issues, please call the Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 as we heal the wounds of domestic violence as a nation. AJC Radio takes a moment to remember the victims and our fight will always continue.
And ladies and gentlemen, I'm Lamont Banks. Welcome back to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. And tonight, Lisa, Cliff, William, this is going to be a humdinger, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe a little tearjerker as we talk about the struggles and the, some of the tragedies, William, that uh, that Vice President, former Senator Joe Biden has endured over his 37 years of public service. Uh, we found out yesterday that the vice president has chosen not to run for the presidency of the United States. And, uh, uh, you know, he's been through a lot. And to, to put that burden on him uh, on top of uh, trying to run a country and dealing with the loss of the affectionate vote yeah. it, it has to be difficult. Lisa, when you, when you think about that, you're a parent, Cliff. Uh, you're a father. Uh, William, you're a father. Uh, what thoughts do you have for the vice president? What I mean, I can't even I can't comprehend that because I've never lost a, a, a son, a daughter, whatever. I'm not an actual I'm not a father, uh, but you folks are. Give, give some insight to what you what it says about Vice President Biden to be able to not only lose one child, uh, but two. Well, I, I mean, they always said not to set policy. The hardest thing is carrying that awesome job. The hardest. And so when you look at this, this this was very close to him. And most people don't realize that. I mean, Bo Biden, he went by Bo, but he's actually uh, Joe Biden the third. I mean, he carries on his father's namesake, and he, in many ways, he looked like his father. He followed in his father's footsteps. Uh, was being groomed for you know to really charge and take some leadership. In, in Washington, and um, you know this this loss was tragic. Um, it really, I think, hit him to the core. And well, it's, 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 the wound is new. I know, and it's, and it was heartfelt. You could yeah. see it. You could see yeah. it, and he's still feeling. It. He's still feeling it. So it probably weighed a lot in his decision. And uh, you know, he's he spent he spent a while on the hill. He spent thirty some years on the hill. I mean, we'll tell you a little bit, uh, William, what he's done. Uh, Cliff, we were reviewing some of the things that he has done, committees that he was he was actually on. Uh, this, uh, the, uh, uh, Vice President Biden was born in Pennsylvania on November 20th, 1942. Uh, uh, Joe Biden briefly worked as an attorney before turning to politics. He became the fifth youngest U.S. senator in history, as well as Delaware, Delaware excuse me, longest-serving senator. His 2008 presidential campaign uh, that was a different situation. But he continued his service to the to, to the United States. Uh, when Obama was elected in 2008, Biden became the 47th vice president of the United States. Uh, uh, vice President Biden earned a second term as vice president when President Obama was reelected to the presidency uh, in 2012. Uh, it goes on uh, that uh, long before reaching one of the highest political offices in the nation, uh, Vice President Biden um, grew up in a blue-collar city of Scranton, Pennsylvania. They say that, and I think this is true, Lisa, uh, and, and Cliff uh, William, that he was a senator of the people. Uh, Pennsylvania, if you know, is, a, is if I'm not mistaken, is a, is a large industry uh, type of place. Uh, manufacturers, things like that, steel workers, things along those lines. Uh, when you think about where he came from, uh, it says here that his father, uh, Joseph Biden Sr., worked cleaning furnaces and as a used car salesman. Uh, stuff that not necessarily easy work. So I think what happened with, with, with him, Lisa, is that he, the core and the value of his character was molded then, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. He didn't grow up uh, over, overly privileged. He grew up 
like a normal American, like most Americans grow up. He sure. didn't. He didn't grow up uh, just having everything he wanted. He he actually grew up having to having to earn things, having to work for things. Which I mean, it does If if you don't have to do that, that's not a bad thing. But having to do that, it teaches you things as you go. You absolutely. learn. You learn a lot as you, as you grow. No, no, absolutely, and uh, it, it really again speaks to who he is uh, uh, as a person. Uh, and he, I believe, uh, again, these are things that form a nation. These characteristics are things that create a society. Uh, these are the people, uh, Cliff, that we talk about on a consistent basis, that as they uh, ascend on the hill, they brought, they're bringing a lot of experience, life experience. That is what you need in Congress. And for sure you need it, as, as, you know, it doesn't hurt to be in the, in the second highest position as the vice president of the United States that if something, God forbid, would happen to the sitting president. Uh, you have to have some, some, some really ump, if you will, behind you to that if something happens, the American people trust and voted you enough that they, that they think that if something was to happen, we have the right man that can step in and do the job. That speaks volumes. So I, I, the thing I love about reading this is that you realize – this guy, I mean, money doesn't buy character. You right. know what I'm saying? Money does not buy character. So when you talk about this, where this guy came from, what his father did, I love this little line right here where it says yeah. that his mother said, you know, basically when he was being bullied here, he's basically, she told him, you know, bloody their nose so you can walk down the street the next day. You know, so she wow. te- when your mom's teaching you to stand up and fight, sure. said, no, look, don't be bullied. You're going to get bullied throughout life. Stand up and fight. And sure. So, that's him. No, oh, and, and it says that uh, Joseph, uh, Vice President Biden credits his parents with instilling in him toughness, hard work, perseverance. Uh, and Biden, uh, Vice President Biden has recalled his father frequently saying, Champ, the measure of a man is not how often he is knocked down, but how quickly he gets up. Cliff, uh, again, for this man in 1973, you don't get a bigger knockdown than that. That's right. And I think one of the, one of the things that really stuck out to me during that opening clip when we heard from Vice President Biden, uh, you know, he was in the room with uh, his colleagues, other members of Congress, um, the rest of the cabinet members. And the thing that stood out is he said they asked him, you know, when uh, when his wife and his daughter died, that, Joe, just stay on six months. Just, just give us six months until we can find a replacement. That is where he found his resiliency. That is where he found out the deepest part of his character that although he he had a great loss that he had so much more to offer after that loss that that the, right. that the American people still needed him to to serve as as a senator that his loss sure it was great and it was it was uh devastating to him but he came to the realization at that time in his life that I'm more resilient than the things that I've lost I have more to offer than what I have lost. The people of America need me more than I need to take time off. And wow. when, you, when you look at that type of character and you look at the man who uh, Vice President Joe Biden is, that's why I say you, you can do nothing but admire him for the stance that he takes. I mean, he's not going to take anything from no from from anyone. Like you said, nobody can can really put a, uh, a weight or a price on what he lost in his service to this country. Sure. And so... He's taking the the position that you know I'm going to say what I what I want to say I'm going to say how I feel and I really don't care what anyone thinks about that just like he said I'm here to ensure that civil rights 
are given to all the American people and let the chips fall where well, they are. Well, the good part about uh, Vice President Biden as senator, his reputation was known for being able to reach across the aisle. Right. And everybody liked and liked Senator Joe Biden and Vice President Joe Biden. He's a likable guy. And he, to me, Lisa, from when, I, when I've done the research on the vice president, the sincerity of heart that Vice President Biden has is, a, is, is, is so huge. Oh, yeah. And you hear it when he talks. You see it when he talks. You see his emotion. He is real. Uh, and one thing, Lisa, what we found out is that pr- Vice President Biden is not a selfish man. No, he's not. He's not about himself, as some people are about themselves. He actually went to a, a event where he was honoring the military who had lost, the families who had lost military servicemen uh, to war. And he had some things to say. Let's hear what he had to say. So many funerals I've attended, so many bases I've visited. And you know, uh, not all losses are equal. Not all losses are equal. And what used to drive me crazy, I could be wearing one of those red shirts, not for the military, but when I was a 29-year-old kid, I got elected to the United States Senate out of nowhere on November the 7th. And I got a phone call like you guys got, or someone walking up to me. On December 18th, I was down in Washington. I'm the first United States Senator I ever knew. (laughs) And I was down in Washington hiring my staff, and I got a phone call saying that uh, my family had been in an accident. And just like you guys know, by the tone of the phone call, you just knew, didn't you? You knew when they walked up the path. You knew when the call came. You knew. You just felt it in your bones something bad happened. And I knew. I don't know how I knew. But the call said my wife was dead, my daughter was dead, and I wasn't sure how my sons were going to make it. At Christmas shopping and a tractor trailer broadsided them in one instant. Killed two of them and And I, had to, I have to tell you, I used to resent. I knew people meant well. They'd come up to me and say, Joe, I know how you feel. Right? I knew they meant well. I knew they were genuine. But you knew they didn't have any idea. Right? Isn't that true? I mean... That that black hole you feel in your chest like you're being sucked back into it. Looking at your kids, most of you have kids here. Um, And knowing it was the first time in my career, in my life, I realized someone could go out, and I probably shouldn't say this to the press here, but no, but it's more important. You're more important. It is not reasonable. It is beyond your expectations. And matter of fact, you're going to go through periods when after a while you'll see somebody you may have an interest in and you're going to feel guilty as hell. 
you're going to feel this awful, awful, awful feeling of guilt. But just remember two things. Keep thinking what your husband or wife would want you to do. Keep thinking what it is. And keep remembering that those kids of yours are him or her the rest of their life. Blood of my blood, bone of my bone. Because folks, it can and will get better. Well, and uh, there you have it, uh, Vice President Joe Biden speaking to the families of the grief stri- who are grief stricken um, as a result of their loved ones dying at war. Uh, Cliff, when you hear that, um, what a man of courage! Uh, that um, that is very moving to me. That in the midst of his grief. He continues to serve the people of the United States. He could have went there, Cliff, and made a, a speech about uh, the importance of war, the the, God, the purposes that what we, you know, he could have done a political speech, but he did a speech from the heart. What does that tell you about Vice President Biden? Yeah, it just tells you that this man is, um, I mean, just a hundred percent who he is. He he wears his. Uh, you know his emotion, his his courage, his his bravery. It's it's right there in the open. Who he is is what you see. And for him to come out, make a speech about the pain that he's gone right. through, about the things that he suffered, about all of the losses. But then to say, and, and you know, and and basically just landed on the line like, hey, you know, people say they know what you feel. They don't know what you're feeling when you you say you lost a, a child. You you know you lost you know in seventy two you lost a baby, and then you know you lose uh, you know a, a great friend that that you raised as in his son Bo, but he comes out he makes that speech but it's it's not in in malice he's just saying sure. hey this is how I feel about the whole situation yeah. but on the flip side of that I am here to serve the American people I am here about civil rights I am here about upholding the Constitution. Who I am, you know, the pain is part of who he is. Sure. The grief, the loss, it is part of who he is, and it's not like he, uh, like he wears it or he uses it as an excuse for who he is. He just says, "Hey, this is this is part of the package," and nobody can argue that he has been great as a senator. Nobody can argue right. his voting record. Nobody can argue the fact that uh, his reelection numbers. I mean, to win your reelection. Uh, you get 60% of the vote, 55% of the vote. Things like that are unheard of. Sure. So his record speaks for itself. Sure. And then he speaks directly from the heart, letting the American people know, hey, this is where I stand and this is exactly how I feel about what's going on. But let's all get up together and let's go do what it takes to run this great country. Oh, absolutely. It couldn't be said better than that. And uh, talk a little bit about the history of Vice President Biden uh, and how he got to where he is today and states here on a spring trip to the Bahamas during his junior year uh, Vice President Biden met a Syracuse University student named I believe it's Nalia that's what it says here it's it's, uh, Hunter Uh, says in his own words he fell in love with her at first sight 
Uh, encouraged by his new love, he applied himself more fully to his studies uh, and was accepted into the Syracuse University Law School upon his graduation from the University of Delaware in 1965. Biden and Hunter married the next year in 1966, and Biden was at best a mediocre law student. During his first year at Syracuse, he flunked the class for failing to properly cite a reference to a law review article. Uh, and although he claimed it was an accidental oversight, the incident would hunt him later in his career. Again, starting off with challenges that uh, a lot of people would have probably buckled under. Uh, it says here that after graduating, and this is what Vice President Biden alludes to, after graduating from law school in 1968, Biden moved to Willing Willington, Delaware, to begin practicing at a law firm. Uh, became an active member of the Democratic Party in 1970. He was elected to the Newcastle, to Newcastle County Council. And while serving, uh, Biden started his own law firm. In addition, he increasingly uh, busy. Professional life became increasingly busier. Uh, Biden had three children during these years. Uh, uh, and they, that was Joseph Biden III, Hunter Biden, and Naomi Biden, born in 1971. And everything was happening faster than, than the vice president, it says here, had uh, that he thought would ever happen that fast in his life. And uh, this is what the vice president was alluding to. Just as all of Biden's wildest dreams seemed to be coming true, he was struck by devastating tragedy. A week before Christmas in 1972, Biden's wife and three children were involved in a terrible car accident while out shopping for a Christmas tree. The accident killed his wife and daughter and severely injured both of his sons. Bo and Hunter, Biden was inconsolable and even considered suicide. This is the brink of tragedy of horror that our vice president went through he recalls i began to understand how despair led people to just crash in just cash in excuse me how suicide wasn't an option but a rational option and he said he felt god had played a horrible trick on him and he was angry uh, the vice president uh, biden goes further to say that nevertheless at the encouragement of his family uh, biden decided to honor his commitment to represent the people of delaware in the senate he skipped the swearing-in ceremony for new senators in Washington and instead took the oath of office from his son's hospital room in order to spend as much time as possible with his sons. Biden decided to continue to live in Wilmington, commuting to and from Washington each day by Amtrak, a practice he maintained through his entire tenure in the United States Senate. You're talking about a father. A dedicated father. This, this, is, this, is, this goes without... <laughs> Any type of comprehension. And uh, Cliff, we got a caller that wants to has that has something to say. Let's hear what let's hear what they're saying. Yes, we have uh, have the truth on the line. Has a comment of what we're talking about tonight with uh, Vice President Joe Biden. And um, Truth, go ahead. You're you're live on the line. Yes, thanks for taking my thanks for taking my call. I was listening to all the things that Joe Biden went through, and I was familiar with a lot of them already. And when his son, Bo, died, I am telling you, I had pain inside of me when I saw that because I didn't even know that he was ill. And immediately my heart went out to his dad because I can remember when he greeted his dad on the platform. I think he had just introduced him, but he greeted him on the platform. Uh, 
And he, when I saw them embrace each other, and he looked at his son with such a love for his son and, and vice versa, you knew without anybody saying a word, this was a love between a father and his son that was just beautiful. If only everybody in this country could share that kind of love um, and, that, that I saw that night. And I just, I mean, I am so glad that he did not run for president, not because he wouldn't have made a great president, because he seems like a really genuine person. And, but when I thought about the death of his son just a, a month or two, a couple of months or so ago, I thought the grieving process has barely begun. And with the closest that he had with his two sons after losing his wife and his daughter, uh, had to be unbelievable. Because when you come that close to losing everybody, even the bond is even greater. And so when I looked at that, I thought, I really hope that you don't run. Uh, not because he wouldn't make an absolutely great president, but I was concerned about the grieving that's behind the scenes that none of us see. His wife, Jill, his son, his other members of his family, they have to see the pain that he's going through and know that to take on something as big as being president of the United States and the grieving process is too much for any person. I don't care how strong you may be or whatever, that's way over bounds for a person to take all that on at one time. Uh, I, I'm a pastor of the church, and my husband passed away. And I tell you, that was one of the most difficult times in my life. And I had to go on with, in a leadership capacity uh, and grieve when it felt like my heart was literally bleeding to death. Um, but how difficult that was. And then to lose my daughter four years later, uh, it was a very dark, difficult time in our life. And so I thought about that, and I thought, you need to time out. You need to be able to grieve. You need to be able to to just kind of be alone. Sometimes you don't want to be with anybody, and sometimes you do want to be with somebody. And that's what those things concern me. Uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, and it's very painful, and even more so for him because he almost lost these two sons. He, uh, after losing his wife and his daughter, I mean, my God, you know, he is to be commended for the father. He should be, he should be voted the father of the year. That's how much you saw the love and compassion in his heart for his son. I can't imagine him standing by his bedside, watching him die as, as the father that he was, knowing I cannot help you. If I could, I would stop it, but he couldn't. And so I'm just, my heart goes out to him, our prayers, our condolences from our church family. We just pray that God will continue to strengthen him and help him to get through this process. And his wife, Jill, I can't imagine how much, how much it took for all of them to come together and say, please don't. Because they know his heart is bleeding right now. And he doesn't. He doesn't need the 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 uh, the weight of the president of the United States 
uh, on his back at the same time. I, I mean, the grief of his son, and he has to reflect on the loss of his wife and his daughter. Now he's got one son left. Can you imagine his pain? So I am thankful to God that he didn't run. And we are praying for you, Vice President Biden, that God will strengthen you and your family during this difficult time. And I think that you made the right decision. And uh, you served this country so well and so long. I don't think you, sh you should have in any way have any regrets. And I just, I just, I just had to call in and extend our heartfelt uh, prayers to you that we care and we trust that you will be able to get through this crisis as you've all the rest, and God will help you. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you for that. Ladies and gentlemen, we said this would be a humdinger. It is an emotional one and well-spoken by the caller tonight as we reflect on the life and the man of Vice President Joe Biden, a father, a hero, a legend, a, I like to say, a, a human who inspires the human spirit. Through all of that, he stood up and said the people of America are important. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. As we come back, we will hear from the son, the late Bo Biden, as he introduces his father at the Democratic National Convention. Hang on to your seats. We'll be right back. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now, here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated, but one thing is clear. There's a racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of America's drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparities in America's war on drugs are one big reason that one of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
Not only does texting while driving significantly reduce your reaction time, but you are also 10% more likely to leave your lane. This commercial was 30 seconds. That's all it takes to avoid a senseless tragedy. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America, to AJC Radio Spotlight on Capitol Hill. Tonight we take a very uh, serious moment and an, an honorable moment, if you will, to honor a man, Vice President Joe Biden, who stands at the helm of leadership over a nation. Uh, he is the former senator in the U.S. Senate, 36 years of service in the United States Senate and occupies the second highest office in the world as the Vice President of the United States. And we have been uh, reflecting on a man of courage. Uh, William, um, we talked earlier about Joe Biden. And again, we've talked about his personal uh, things that he, has, that he has dealt with. And this is something that's very serious, um, but it's very informative. And I think sometimes in politics, we lose sight of the men and of the women and what they are actually doing. I think uh, if we're not careful, politics will, will cause us to lose sight of the, of the real man or the real woman who occupies the seat in which they serve the people of the United States. Um, Vice President Biden tonight has given me a sense of purpose that if he can make it, if he can fight, if he can persevere, why can't we? That's true. As the American people, That's your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you really lose sight sometimes that these people wear these suits and they sit in these seats behind plaques, and you you don't you forget who they are. Maybe you don't even get a glimpse of who they are. And I think that's why um, this show is important and. To have segments like this about this kind of person that is fighting for our country, the laws, the commitment he's had for the thirty what'd you say, thirty four? Thirty six years. Thirty six yeah. years. That's a long time. That's a long time. But when you really look at the character that rose, you know, from his meager backgrounds to go to law school, to find his uh, you know, to establish his own law firm to suffer the loss that he's suffered, still maintain, and Cliff brought up a very good point. I mean, this man won re-election by 60%. I mean, this is the, he, that was a landslide, and he did it several times. And so when you really look at that, you really have to – I mean, I'm really sitting here thinking that you know you almost wish he would run. I mean, this kind of character, you wish he would run because sure. this kind of person is the one that you want. 
at the helm of this country. This kind of person with this kind of character that's dealt with this kind of adversity, this is what you want. This is not a man that was raised with a silver spoon. This is a man that understands what it takes to he had to work. He had to work. He was he didn't come up on a you know on a trust fund or school paid for and all that kind of stuff. He had to work. He came from a working class family. He understands what working class people need. And that's that's the thing this country needs. So I, I'm sitting here, you know, having a little bittersweet moment because if he could have ran, I would have voted for him. No, absolutely. If he would have chosen to run, let me say that. Sure, and I think the point is taken um you know, and to the to the point of the caller who has lived through grief, yes, uh, lived through the nightmare, the sleepless nights, the to have to run a country at the same time and to be criticized and to be, it's well, just you know, you know what, Lamont? Yeah, Lisa. That job of president that kills you all by itself. You don't need to have to deal with that. Right on top. This, we're talking about this man has not. It has not been six months since his son passed. Yeah. And to try to, to deal with that, and I mean, the campaigning by itself for that office is enough to kill you. I, you couldn't pay me to do it. No, campaigning I, for that office is a is a uh, five full time jobs in itself. Then you, if you if you win the, the election and you and you get the job, then I mean that job. We have not had a president yet who hasn't gone in there and come within a, within a year. They've doubled the amount of gray hair they have. Well, yeah. Because that job is is one of the, is got to be the hardest job in in the world. And uh, you've got so much pressure, you've got so much stress, you've got all this piled on top of you. And while in the midst of that, you're trying to deal with your grief. Nobody nobody should do that. I, I mean, yeah, granted, if he had if he had had he had he run, yeah, I would have voted for him. I'm glad he didn't because I don't think it's, I don't think it would be good for him. I don't think he needed it. I don't think he needed that on top of everything that he's dealing with. That's true. He's a strong man. Yes, absolutely. And I and I admire him. I admire him more for being able to say, you know what? I know what I can take and I know what I can't. I can, that right there is it would be too much. I'm not going to do it. No, Alyssa, I agree with you uh, wholeheartedly with that. And we, we, we must not lose sight of the human being. That's true. The man. Uh, he's human. Yeah. Absolutely. And he cries. And as everybody in pain and grief. Uh America needs to come together and with with love again in this country and the care for 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 human for human beings. Well, I think that's for, the, that's the, I think that's the one other thing that you know, as Lisa was talking, they would have they would have probably you know the sad thing is they probably would have gone on some kind of attack against him, you know, if he would have chosen to run, and which would have been a shame, you know, sure. it would have been absolutely shame. I mean, he's he's really a good a good man, family man. Well, well, we honor the the vice president if he's listening tonight. We salute you, Vice President Biden. Uh, we appreciate your service to a nation that will affect uh, our children, our children's children, for the impact you left and the footprint, if you will, that you left on the nation. And uh, the good thing about uh, Vice President Biden is that when he speaks, he speaks from the heart. Uh, he speaks about what he's gone through. When people uh, tended to question his sincerity and whether he understood, you know, the average American uh, that comes home at night, he's worked a hard day, he's trying to deal with the financial strain of life. He is, to me, connected with the American people, and they apparently feel what he's saying because they voted for him, as Cliff alluded to, over and over, overwhelmingly. Let's hear a little bit about the heart of Joe Biden.
You've been very kind, suggesting my only Achilles heel is my lack of discipline. Mm -hmm. Others talk about it, my excessive passion. I'm not going to change. Uh, I have 35 uh, years in public office. People can judge who I am. I haven't changed in that time. And by the way, a record of change. I will place my record and Barack's record against John McCain's or anyone else in terms of fundamental accomplishments. Wrote the crime bill, put 100,000 cops in the street. Wrote the Violence Against Women Act, which John McCain voted against both of them. Uh, was the, the catalyst to change the circumstance in Bosnia, led by President Clinton, obviously. Look, I understand what it's like to be a single parent. When my wife and daughter died and my two sons were gravely injured, I understand what it's like as a parent to wonder what it's like if your kid's going to make it. I understand what it's like to sit around the kitchen table with a father who says, I got to leave, champ, because there's no jobs here. I got to head down to Wilmington, and when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. I understand what it's like. I'm much better off than almost all Americans now. I get a good salary as United States Senate. I live in a beautiful house. It's my total investment that I have. So I, I am much better off now. But the notion that somehow, because I'm a man, I don't know what it's like to raise two kids alone. I don't know what it's like to have a child you're not sure is going is to make it. I understand. I understand. As well as, with all due respect, the governor or anybody else, what it's like for those people sitting around that kitchen table. And guess what? They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. There you have it. Uh... Whoa. Yeah, I know that uh, Sarah Palin at that point wished she had never made that statement. Well, but, to, to a, go ahead, Cliff. Uh, you know, but but since she did, you know, he addressed it and uh, and dealt with it with you know with no holes barred, saying, "Look, I understand what it means to have a loss, to be a single parent, to have grown up hard, to have." tragedy and hardship in life and you know talking about him and and uh you know running for the presidency he made the statement that you know he didn't think that anyone should uh run for the presidency if they didn't feel like they could put 110 percent of of themselves into it so he's taking into account the american people that if i can't give you everything then i'm not i'm not going to go into it uh, right now uh, obviously with you know bow passing and may that the emotions are still high. He's still dealing with them, that a lot of it is still in check because he is in public office. But he said that, you know, if I can't give 110 percent, then I'm not I'm not going to get into the race. And obviously it's not because he doesn't feel he can he could win. I mean, you look at his track record, the lowest margin that he's won by being reelected is 55 percent. At, at one point, he won. 62%, 64% of the vote. These are unheard of numbers. Any politician would be like, if I could get 55% of the vote, you're, you, that is a landslide. And they get 60 and 62 and 64. There, really, there's no competition. It's, it's like, okay, who were the people going against him? The, the people of his district saw that Joe Biden is the man that we need for the job. He's proven it over and over again. He's proven to the people that I am for you and I am with you. And that's what he's done as a vice president. I mean, we don't hear him uh, as, as much as obviously as we do the president. But when he comes out and speaks, when he deals with the issues on the table, he is concise. He's, uh, he's precise. And you feel him because you know when Joe Biden opens his mouth, he's going to say exactly 
what the issue is. There, There's not going to be a Any political question. spin. There's not going to be like, okay, what was he talking about? No, he's going to be straight out, and he's going to be straightforward and tell you this is what's going on. This is how we, uh, as the administration, dealt with it, and we dealt with it the way that we had to because huh. that's what it takes to do this job. And you have to commend him for well, it. Well, what do you do here? I mean, I'm at a loss, to be very honest with you. Um, and, you know, this is something that you take home with you. When you when you close out the studio tonight, we go home. Vice President Joe Biden's on your mind. Your thoughts are with him and his pain. And this is something that that is amazing here. Again, going to the character of Vice President Joe Biden. It says, following the tragedy, we've been talking about the loss of his son, Bo. Uh, Biden considered a run for the presidency, which, according to Biden, was Bo's dying wish. This is why the struggle was back and forth with the vice president. Trying, I, I again, I, and I speak, uh, uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, as just assuming, and I mean that with the utmost respect, that the going back and forth, should I or shouldn't I? And to hear the words of your son without question in your ear, his dying wish was that he run for president. And again, this selfless act of Vice President Biden shows up again. These are not things that you can make up. These are not things that you can fake. This is who the man is, William, as we think about that. I mean... I can't even imagine that. No, I, I can't. And even even reading here, I think he is so well respected. They said even Sarah Palin was at Bo Biden's eulogy. So this is a woman that went on attack, and some you know, but she had to she had to realize that <laughs> this man, his character, who he is, the father, is is phenomenal. I mean, you you said it best. We will leave here tonight and think about this man and reflect. Um, he is truly well, a, 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 a really, I mean, we used, I think it was with Sensor Brenner, we said Big Dog. This man right here, he truly has, Yeah. I don't even think that's words. You don't, you, you don't have the words, and it says here, William Lisa Cliff, uh, according to, uh, again, his dying, that was Bo's dying wish, the vice president put the speculation about a possible presidential run to rest. And this was yesterday uh, when he announced that he would not seek the 2016 Democratic nomination in the White House Rose Garden with his wife, Jill, and President Obama by his side. Vice President Biden made his announcement referring to his son's recent death in his decision making. And uh, as my family and I, and I quote uh, the, the vice president, as my family and I have worked through the grieving process, I've said all along what I've said time and time again to others, that it may very well be that the process, by the time we get through it, closes the window. I've concluded it has closed. But Biden goes on again. The man, while I will not be a candidate, I will not be silent. I intend to speak out clearly and forcefully to influence as much as I can where we stand as a party and where we need to go as a nation. The words of Vice President uh, Joe Biden. And we talked, uh, Cliff, Lisa, William, earlier about, and the caller alluded to, the love between a father and a son. Bo had the privilege in 2008 
to introduce his father at the Democratic National Convention. And what love is very much present in that introduction. Let's hear what he had to say. Good evening. Good evening. I'm Bo Biden. I'm, and Joe Biden and Joe is my dad. My dad. Many of you know him as a distinguished and accomplished senator. I know him I'm, as an incredible father and a loving and a grandfather. Loving a man who went home to Delaware after the last vote, last vote so he wouldn't so he, me and my brothers in games. Game. Who, after returning from some war torn region of the world, world, would tiptoe would tip literally into our rooms and kiss us goodnight. Kiss us goodnight. Who turns who down turns some fancy cocktail party in Washington so he won't so he won't my daughter Natalie's birthday. birthday. The truth is, it's, he almost he wasn't a senator at, senator at all. In 1972, shortly after shortly his improbable victory, victory, but before he but took before the oath of office, my father my went father to Washington, Washington to look at his new office. My mom was to go by a country. On the way home, we were in an automobile accident. My mom, my mom, and my sister Naomi were killed. My brother and I were seriously injured and hospitalized for weeks. I was just I was four years old. Years. One of my earliest memories, memories was being in was being hospital. My dad my always dad, on our side. Our side. We, we, my brother and I, my brother, not the my Senate, Senate, were all that were he all cared about. He decided, he decided not to take not the oath take of office. Off. He said then, he said, and Delaware can Delaware get another senator, senator, but my boy but my can't boy get, another get another father. However, 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 Great men, great, great men, men like Ted like Kennedy, Kennedy, Mike Mansfield, Hubert Humphrey, Hubert men who have been tested in their own right, convinced, convinced, convinced shares to serve. serve. He was sworn he was in, in the hospital at my bedside. As a single, As a single parent, parent, he decided, he decided to, be there, to be there, to put us to bed, put us to bed. When, we, when we be there when be we woke, there, up, woke up from a bad dream, from a bad dream to make us to make us breakfast. So he traveled, so he traveled to and from Washington four hours four a day. Five years Five later, later, we, we, my brother, my dad brother and I married my mom, mom Jill. Jill. And they together and they rebuilt our family. family. And 36, and 36 years, years later, they're still making still make trip. trip. So even though so he, dad worked in Washington, Washington he's never been he's part, never part of Washington. He always he sounded always like a kid from Scranton, Pennsylvania that he is. That he is. And even and that even is a story, is a story of Now some people now some poke people fun at my dad talking too much. What a lot of what people a lot don't know, don't know though, is that when he was a young, was man, young boy, boy, he had a severe stutter. stutter. The kids called the kid him dad. Not because not he was fast he was in the football field, field, which he was, which he was. but like a dad but like at the end of a sentence can't finish. Can't finish. But now he's but now with a clear, clear, a clear and strong voice. He says... He says... He says, he says, he says he what says needs to be said, be said, and he does and he what does needs, to be, needs to be done. When domestic when violence fought, was often a was dark, secret, dark secret, Dad wrote Dad the Violence Against Women Act, which gave countless women, which gave countless women the protection and support and protection and a new chance at life. When crime was spiking in our communities, Dad wrote the crime bill that put 100,000 cops on our streets 
and led to an eight-year drop in the crime across America. And when Serbian thugs were committing genocide in the Balkans, Dad didn't hesitate to call Slobodan Milosevic a war criminal to his face and to convince Congress and our allies to act. He's willing to speak truth to power, to the White House and to world leaders. I know my father will be a great vice president. As I mentioned, my dad has always been there for me, my brother, my sister, every day. But because of other duties, it won't be possible for me to be here this fall, to stand by him the way he stood by me. So I have something to ask of you. Be there for my dad, like he was for me. Be there for Barack Obama, because our country needs him. Be there for both of them, because millions of families need to know that their best days aren't behind them, but are ahead of them. Be there for both of them, because millions of people are trying to overcome just like my dad overcame. Be there. Be there because Barack Obama and Joe Biden will deliver America the change we so desperately need. Please join me in welcoming my friend, my father, my hero, the next Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden. And there you have it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the late Bo Biden. And, um, and that gets you chills, doesn't it? Uh, a man speaking of such honor of his father, uh, I'm so saddened by the loss of Bo Biden because he is the, uh, what would you say, he is the product uh, of Joe Biden, the vice president of the United States, who created, honestly, and molded Bo into the man that he became. Uh, he looked and saw in his father uh, qualities of integrity, qualities of passion. When you hear him talk, William Cliff, Bo Biden sounded like a rising star for this nation, it, without question. Uh, the passion is there, the passion of his father. You know this is Joe Biden's son. Looks like Joe, but even the chilling thing listening to that clip sounds, sounds like Joe. he sounds like him but I think the thing about it is that he saw in his father character sure. and a model of a man and Joe brought up a good point I mean he raised those kids for I'm not sure how many years but as a single parent sure you know so he's raising Bo who was the oldest and he is it, you know to be a man yeah what a what a great thing uh, for the vice president uh, Lisa to we are mirrors, if you will, of our parents. Um, in, in most cases, uh, we are the, are the mirror of our parents. Lisa, when you hear uh, both speak, it, it solidifies even more the impact of Vice President Joe Biden in, in, on his family and what they believed, uh, what they believed in, in the message of Joe Biden the character, the things that we don't see on television. You know, like he said, he took the time to get on that train every morning for his tenure because he wanted to be at home with his kids and raise the league. That, what, what do you say to that? I mean, the sacrifices 
that have been made here through adversity, through difficulty, not just, oh, I'll get up and I made, an, I made a decision. The selfless acts of Vice President Biden, and we're going to get into that here momentarily, even in his career in the Senate. Selfless act after act after act. Lisa, what does that do to you as a mother? Do we need, this country needs more men like Joe Biden. Absolutely, because what you see is that he's instilling his children and his boys. He instilled in them the same, the same qualities, the same, same mentality that he had as a man. It's what he felt being a father actually meant. He instilled that in them, yeah. and what it meant to be a father, what it means to be a grandfather. He instilled that in them. He, I mean, so that when they talk about it, they're able to talk about it and say, "Hey, this is what my dad showed me. This is what I saw my father. I didn't see." A man who never who was never at home because he was consumed by his work. He was never there because he was consumed by a job. And the job that he had was a big job. Absolutely. But he did not allow that to consume him. He put his family ahead of his job, which he most definitely should have done, which I think every man should do. Your family should come before that. And that's what he showed his children was that your job is not that important. It's like he said, they can get. Uh, they, he said that this state they can get another senator, but my kids cannot get another I mean, father. Just think about that. I mean, he put he put them first. He put them ahead of his job. A job is never that important. And what it tells you is that is what is the fabric of America. When you believe that that is more important than a career, but here's the big thing to me, Vice President Biden not only saw that he needed to be a father, he saw that the, he needed to be a father to the American people. He needed to be a strength to the American... His extended family, just think about that for a moment, William Cliff Lisa, the, the compellingness, if you will, whatever compelled him to take the step to serve America because he felt compelled for the voters that went out on a cold November day and said, we want you, Joe. He, he still extended his fatherly duties to the American people. Think of that. Not only my father, to my immediate family, to my extended family, which is of the American people, he made a decision that that was important. And it says here, uh, if you look back on the years, uh, Vice President Biden, 1973 to 2009, served as, as a distinguished Senate senator. During his time in the Senate, Biden won respect as one of the body's leading foreign policy experts, serving as a chairman of the Committee on Foreign Relations for several years. His many foreign policy positions included advocating for strategic arms limitation with the Soviet Union, promoting peace and stability in the Balkans, expanding NATO to including former Soviet bloc nations and opposing the first Gulf War. More recently, he advocated American action to end the genocide and defer and spoke out against President uh, Bush handling of the Iraq War, particularly opposing the two-thirds of 2007. Again, alluding to Cliff's point, he spoke and he speaks what he feels. Uh, in addition to foreign policy, Vice President Biden was an outspoken proponent of tougher crime laws in 1987. Supreme Court nominee Robert Bork's failure to receive confirmation was largely attributed to harsh questioning of Vice President Biden, Senator Biden at that time who was then chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee in 1994. 
And Vice President Biden sponsored the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act to add 100,000 police officers and increase sentences for a host of crimes. In 1987, having established himself as one of Washington's most prominent Democratic lawmakers, uh, Vice President Biden decided to run for the U.S. presidency. He dropped out of the Democratic primary. Uh, after that, of course, in 2007, 20 years after his first uh, unsuccessful presidential bid, uh, Vice President Biden once again decided uh, to run again. His perseverance, William, is what we talked about earlier, wanting to make a difference. Um, didn't get the presidency, but got the second powerful office in the land. His perseverance, this is what is amazing about America, is that we all face obstacles where it's perhaps, and as, as he said, his dad said to him, what marks the, the character of a man is not how many time he, time he gets knocked down. But are you able to get up and continue? Uh, Cliff, this speaks to that. After having the aspirations of the presidency, he never stopped fighting to be in a position to make a difference. And thus, uh, on November 2nd, 2008, Barack Obama and Joe Biden convincingly defeated the Republican ticket of Senator John McCain, Alaska Governor Sarah Palin. On January 20th, Obama was sworn in as the 44th U.S. president, and Biden became the 47th. Vice President, and while Biden has mostly served in the role of behind-the-scenes advisor to the president, he has taken particularly active roles in formulating federal policies relating to Iraq and Afghanistan. In 2010, the vice president used his well-established connections to help secure passage of the new strategic arms reduction treaty between the United States and the Russian Federation. I mean, when you think of that, Cliff, of all of those accomplishments, of all of those persevering moments, uh, and the things that he accomplished in the Senate, noted as one of the most uh, able uh, senators to work with on, from both parties on all sides to work with him. That speaks volumes. Yeah, and what it, what it really tells you about uh, Vice President Joe Biden is that his, um, his desire to serve the American people never swayed and never wavered. Uh, you know, in his, in his bids for the presidency, it it never changed who he was as a uh, public servant to the American people. Um, you know, like Lisa said, he he came to the conclusion that no job is too important. That, but it is a job. It's what he does. It's what it's what he continues to do. So win, lose, or draw, his his mindset is: I still serve the American people in the wow. capacity of a senator and the capacity no. of a vice president. If he had, uh, if he had gotten the presidency, it's still I serve the American people in the capacity of a father figure. He still stands and say, you know what? I am who I am. I serve the American people. I'm about civil rights. I'm about equal uh, rights. I'm about the protection of women who've been battered. I'm about protection of law enforcement. This is who I am as a man. In whatever position I find myself in as a title. That doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. I'm still here to serve. <laughs> if, if you you look at uh, Vice President Joe Biden and you say, okay, if he had lost his senatorial seat, you could still see him out there trumping saying, hey, I still who I am. I'm a servant of people. And he said about, you know, basically about not campaigning for the president this year. He said, while I will not be a candidate, I will not be silent. I intend to speak out clearly and forcefully to influence as much as I can where we stand as a party and where we need to go as a wow. nation. So 
run it or not, I'm still here to tell the nation this is my opinion on what we need to do, and I'm here as a help. Use me in whatever way. Well, I'll, I'll send an invitation out to the vice president to perhaps get involved in cloning, uh, <laughs> that we might be able to clone as many vice president Biden that we can in this country. I am so moved tonight uh, by by this man, and uh, boy, I tell you, I'm excited that, and I'm very happy. Uh, that for a brief moment, and we can only get into the little bit, uh, we can't, you know, his life is so vast. Uh, we simply do our best and make an attempt to shine a little bit of light on this remarkable man. And uh, I am blown away and touched in the very depth of my heart in regards to uh, Vice President uh, Joseph Biden, who uh, we talked earlier, connected, he has a connection with the American people that is uncanny. A lot of people cannot connect. They say what sounds right. He connects because he speaks from the heart. He had something to say at the Democratic National Convention. Let's see what he had to say as he made this connection with the American people. Almost every single night, almost every single night, I take the train home to Wilmington, Delaware, sometimes very late. As I sit there in my seat and I look out that window, I see those flickering lights of the homes that pass by. I can almost hear the conversation they're having at their kitchen table after they put their kids to bed. Like millions in America, they're asking questions as, as ordinary as they are profound. Questions they never, ever thought they'd have to ask themselves. Should mom move in with us now that, now that dad's gone? Fifty, sixty, seventy dollars just to fill up the gas tank. How in God's name is winter coming? How are we going to heat the home? Another year, no raise. Did you hear? Did you hear they may be cutting our health care at the company? Now, now we owe more money on our home than our home is worth. How in God's name are we going to send the kids to college? How are we going to retire? You know, folks, that's the America that George Bush has left us. And that's the America we'll continue to get if George, excuse me, if John McCain is elected president of the United States of America. Gordian Cliff. Gordian Cliff. And folks, these are not, these are not isolated discussions among families down in their luck. These are common stories among middle class people who worked hard their whole life, played by the rules on the promise that their tomorrows will be better than their yesterdays. That promise is the promise of America. It defines who we are as a people. And now, and now it's in jeopardy. I know it, you know it, but John McCain doesn't seem to get it. Barack Obama gets it though. Like many of us in this room, like many of us in this hall, Barack Obama has worked his way up. He is the great American story. You know, I believe the measure of man is not the road he travels, but the choices he makes along that road. And ladies and gentlemen, Barack Obama could have done anything after he graduated from college. With all his talent and promise, he could have written his own ticket to Wall Street. But what did he choose to do? He chose to go to Chicago, the south side of Chicago. There... There in the south side, he met women and men who had lost their jobs. Their neighborhood was devastated when the local steel plant closed. 
Their dreams had to be deferred. Their self-esteem was gone. And ladies and gentlemen, he made their lives the work of his life. That's what you do when you're raised by a single mom who worked, went to school, and raised two kids in her own. That's how you've come to believe to the very core of your being that work is more than a paycheck. It's dignity. It's respect. It's about whether or not you can look your child in the eye and say, we're going to be all right. Well, there you have it, folks. Vice President Joe Biden and William and Cliff. Man, I got chills. I, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight when you lay down, make sure you give a positive thought and say a prayer for Vice President Joe Biden. When you hear that, William, and hear that conversation, Cliff, when you hear that, he said to look your child in the face and say it's going to be. This is in the midst of adversity. That is what shapes America. And I'll tell you what, the service tonight that Vice President Biden has given this country, we can't begin to say thank you enough. Vice President Biden, we say thank you. We say thank you for your perseverance. We say thank you for your courage and for your strength and your example that it can be okay. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back as we take a quick break. Honoring tonight, Congressman, excuse me, he's not a congressman, he was a senator, but Vice President Joe Biden, a legend and an example of strength that has helped shape this nation. Spotlight on Capitol Hill Thursday returns right after this. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855 855- 529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I'm an actor, and that qualifies me to talk to you about social issues. And even though my opinion is controversial, I believe that racism is wrong. Now today, what I would like you to do is take a look at your skin color and hug somebody that has a different color skin. We can stop racism together one hug at a time. Definitely ask permission before you hug somebody. Thank you. Call, you don't have to be a victim anymore. These fights are 
getting worse. I don't know what to do. With one call, you can end the cycle of violence. We're glad you called. The first thing we want to do is to ensure your safety. With one call, you can change everything. To speak to a domestic abuse victim advocate, contact your local family advocacy program. Every crime has a victim, and every victim needs help. Being violated by a crime can leave you feeling alone in the world. National Center for Victims of Crime can help. Let us be your resource, your support, your guide to rebuilding your life and restoring hope. Yes, you have the ability to recover. Take the first step. Call 1-800-FYI-CALL or visit us at www.ncbc.org. Remind everybody what our obligation is and stick with your friends. Billy Joel, no one writes or sings better than you, except one guy wrote a little better than you, William Butler Yeats. He said once, pray I will and sing I must, and yet I weep. Billy, thank you for helping so many New Yorkers, so many Americans sing more than they've wept over the last 14 years. To the families of the fallen, again, I admire your courage. In a similar circumstance for me, I never had the courage to show up for the first five or six years. But you all do. But I'm here basically to just say thank you. And to the family members who are here, I want to say thank you for raising such incredible heroes. Being a firefighter or a police officer or first responder isn't just what your sons and daughters and husbands and wives did. It's who they were. It's stamped into your DNA. There's something about you. It's different. Early this morning, I met with families at Rescue One Fire Hall, whose whole lives are about not only fighting fires, but saving the lives of firefighters. You know, there's an old expression, God created all men equal, but then he created firefighters. There's some truth to it, and the same can be said of police officers. We're the folks I grew up with. I don't understand it completely. I think you're all crazy, but thank God you are. And he said, but thank God you are. Those are the words of Vice Vice President Joe Biden as he remembers 9-11 this year, as he took a moment, and he, he has taken many moments in the midst of his grief and Cliff, you said the uh, the death of his son is very new, uh, and you hear him encouraging the families of the victims of 9/11. He never stops, and that is that is absolutely amazing to me. Yeah, he never stops. He he is, for lack of a better phrase, addicted. To serving the American people. Wow. I mean, he everything that happens in his life, he continues to be there 
for the American people. Uh, you know, he he has learned obviously how to put a balance on it. But from the time that his wife and daughter passed away in '72, uh, you know, and they asked me like, Joe, you know, just give us give us a few months, just so that we as the American people can recover from you as a senator leaving. And he did that, and like I said earlier, he found the resilience within himself and found out that he was better off serving the American people than, uh, you know, basically crawling into a hole and, uh, you know, withering away with his grief. Sure, he grieved. I mean, and I, I don't take anything away from the fact that he needed to take time to do that, but he found he found something else. He found service. In the time of his grief for his healing, yes, to heal him, and it has made him the man that he is wow. today. That his service to the American people is what keeps him strong. That's awesome. Uh, that is that is amazing. And uh, on our last uh, hearing of Vice President Joe Biden, not only that, Clef, we said he takes moments not only about his own grief, but he addresses the grief of a nation. Notable acts that have happened in this country that have caused America to tremble. The Aurora shooting being one of them, he took the time there to reach out yet one more time. Let's see what he had to say. Joe Biden made a stop at the National Association of Police Organizations convention. It was supposed to be a campaign appearance, but that changed after that mass shooting in Colorado on Friday. This Channel 5's Alex Sands is live in Manalapan with the Vice President's powerful words tonight. Alex. Joe Biden wasn't here for too long, Jay, addressing the crowd behind me here at the Ritz-Carlton for about 20 or so minutes this morning. Much as we heard from the president last night, there will be no talk of politics here or of policy issues. Instead, the focus squarely on the victims of Friday's shooting and the heroes. Policy. We've always talked about those tools that you need, but it doesn't seem appropriate to talk about that in the wake of what happened on Friday night. For any of you like me who have grieved the sudden loss of a loved one, you know at this moment there's nothing but that feeling of a black hole in your chest. You feel like you're being sucked into it. We as a nation have been there before. Columbine, Virginia Tech, Fort Hood, Tucson, September 11th, and so, many, so much more. We know why we weep. We weep for the families that lost their loved ones. Twelve innocent people, a six-year-old girl, a 19-year-old young man, on his way out of the theater safely, who turned back, not like on you, toward the gunfire when he heard the screaming of a mother asking for help. A young woman sitting in the third row of the theater who rushed to apply pressure to an injured man's head instead of rushing to safety. These are the people who define who we are as a nation. They are the hymns of our hope. In this moment of our grief, the entire nation is reminded how grateful we are for what you do. Love you guys. Thank you very much. Well, what do you say, ladies and gentlemen of America, as you think about your own family tonight and you reflect on little Johnny, little Susie, little Heather, whatever their names might be, and 
what we have seen tonight, we are very, very, uh, William, uh, Cliff, Lisa, I am honestly moved tonight by what I have heard, what I have observed by the vice president. I have followed uh, Vice President Biden for many, many years back to the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings. Uh, His ethic, his character was on display on a national stage there. And uh, Lisa, as we have done in many times before, we don't have the time. You can't get everything in a show, can you? And then that's something that that's something that means that means a lot. I mean, it speaks a lot. That yes, it does. It, it's one of those things. And and what I'd like to hear is your closing thoughts. And Cliff and William, as we wrap up this segment of Spotlight on Capitol Hill, let me first say thank you to Vice President Biden for giving us material that will impact the nation on this fall evening across America. Thank you for your service. Thank you for being Joe Biden and for making a difference across this nation. Lisa, your closing thoughts on Senator, on, on Vice President Biden. Well, I think we have talked tonight about a very, very great man, a man who has shown tremendous courage and tremendous resilience in the face of so many adversities that he's faced and has shown how a man can stand and how a man should stand. And he's shown, I mean, he's shown what, what it means to to follow this I mean one thing that I think I admire the most about uh about Mr. Biden is that he says what he means he says what he feels and he doesn't care what anyone thinks about it I had read something uh online some time ago that said that in life if you're intelligent you're admired if you're wealthy you're you're envied if you're powerful you're feared but if you're blessed with a good heart you're remembered always and I think Mr. Biden wow. will always be remembered because he has a good heart uh, above all else. And I think no one will ever, ever forget uh, Vice President Biden. Oh, very well spoken, Lisa. I mean, that, that just gives you chills. Uh, Cliff, your closing thoughts on the vice president. Well, I, you know, uh, kind of just uh, mimic what, what Lisa said. I mean, this is a man who speaks. He speaks his, his heart. He says what uh the things that need to be said and he doesn't he doesn't hold back and he doesn't let anyone uh turn him from from his direction from his goal that is what i think i admire the most about him is that because as a quote unquote politician you always see them posturing saying okay they're saying what's politically correct they're taking a stance for their party joe biden says it like it is he always has. He really does not care what you think about. He says some people, some say that you know he's always putting his foot in, the mouth, in his mouth. But no, he's always saying what he feels. Right. And he doesn't really care about the recourse because, uh, you know, the thing is, if when you speak the truth, you never have to worry about trying to figure out what the last thing that you said. It was the truth. That's what he does. Is he says what he feels. And uh, he feels what he says, and he feels for the American people. And I think that is the important part of um, here on Spotlight on Capitol Hill is that it has to be about uh, about people who feel for the American people, not just their constituents, not just for their position, uh, not just for their name, but the American people on the whole. And we see that definitely in Vice President Joe Biden. Absolutely. William, your closing thoughts on the vice president? Well, I, just, um, I just think that um, – you know, he he basically just took a look at middle class America and said, "Listen, you know, if they need a champion, they need a mouthpiece. I'm gonna be that guy. I'm gonna be that guy that's gonna stand there, 
to and just stand there and stand well, for them. And I, I, I think well, that's it. Well, thank you, William, Cliff, Lisa, and to the American people, we salute Vice President Joe Biden, a legend of our time that has impacted a nation. Right now, we go into the final segment of this program, what you didn't know about the RP6 story in case we do that right now. Ladies and gentlemen of America, what is going on when innocent men get locked away? Ladies and gentlemen, have you stopped to ask the question, where is justice? It's far away. The RP6, David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zappolo and Clinton Stewart have pondered that question for three years. Where is justice? What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case is the question. We will deliver those answers on our new segment, What You Didn't Know About the IRP-6. We will seek and search for justice. We will ask the tough questions. We will demand answers as justice lays idle in the streets of America. We look for the answer. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 case starts right now. Well, on the morning of uh, 2005, the day of the FBI raid, I remember uh, someone coming in my office saying the FBI was here. And, uh, I thought they were joking possibly, but I uh, looked out the window and saw a lot of FBI agents, so we went to the front entrance and uh, just a feeling of shock. Today, it really makes me angry. I, mean, I remember being shocked the day it happened. I remember seeing FBI agents running into our building, chasing down people. Uh, the events uh, of that day are quite clear to me, uh, and it really brings uh, one to realize in this country uh, you're guilty until proven innocent. Basically waiting for our morning stand-up meeting we have every morning. And here's a commotion of uh, all these agents coming to the door. And, you know, basically being ordered around into the break room without giving any explanation of what's going on or why or who these people were. It took a, actually, I remember it took about a minute or two before they even identified themselves as the FBI. The benefit of the doubt was not given to anyone. It was almost, I mean, you want to stand by certain truths about the United States that, you know, innocent to you guilty. And it was like, from the minute they walked in that door and the way we were treated, we were treated as criminals. We were treated as if, uh, I mean, I, we were treated as if we weren't even Americans. And it, it just shocks you sometimes that uh, when you think back and you, you realize how authority in the wrong hands can, you know, really be, can really take away your freedom. We were out there trying to help them and they just really tried to demoralize us. Contributing to the development of a lot of those uh, uh, concepts and precepts and the architecture and the, and, and the technical uh, framework for the software. When I heard about the raid, I thought, how, how weird is this? How ironic is this? Do they want to, what are they doing? And if they, what is the intent? And if they shut us down, uh, could this be um, purposely done? 
that we're doing so well to help them that they don't want us to do that? What is There needs to be some justice in this particular type situation. And somebody out there knows something uh, on exactly what happened to our company and what, what reasoning uh, and what events led somebody to come actually uh, do something so sinister to our company and to try to impede our progress. And, and uh, yes, we do believe somebody came in there for the express purpose to acquire our software for illegal means uh, just on the eve of us uh, closing business and having some of the most promising meeting uh, to conclude business that we had ever had in the history of our company. There you have it. Tough questions in need for answers. Lady Justice has gone missing. Where is she? The RP6 and countless thousands are seeking her out. What you didn't know about the RP6 story to be continued. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, what you didn't know about the RP6 case. And we ask the tough questions. We seek for answers. What you didn't know about the RP6 case is that Gary Cardenas, Director of Information Technology for the Philadelphia Police Department, was interviewed by FBI agent Jennifer Yo regarding the RP6, RP Solutions case. The Philadelphia PD was very close to having the Silk product installed prior to the discovery of the RP6 investigation, said Cardenas, according to interview notes. What you didn't know is that the city of Philadelphia was on the verge of purchase and install of the RP6 software and to keep that city, that state, safe. And uh, it looks like the installed of the RP software crippled. When Assistant United States Attorney Matthew Kirsch tells the Philadelphia Inspector General Amy Curlin that RP was soon to be indicted, the city of Philadelphia canceled both of RP6's engagements with the Philadelphia Police Department and the Philadelphia Inspector General's office after a USA Kirsch conversation. What you didn't know is that RP6 still could not pay business debts due to the government's interference with the pending business and with Philadelphia, Cliff. And Lamont, the, the important piece of this, uh, not that it, that information was important, but the piece that you want to pay attention to is that this is pre-indictment. This is pre-impaneling of the grand jury that came back with indictment. How does Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch tell the Inspector General of Philadelphia that there is going to be an indictment coming down on these six gentlemen when the grand jury had never even come together. That that is the type of thing that when you look at you say, This is this is what we're talking about when we're talking about a miscarriage of justice. That before the grand jury even gets impaneled, you say there's going to be an indictment to ensure that business is interfered with so that IRP solutions cannot sell its solution, cannot sell its product. So that you can continue to go down the road of this uh, this, this this false uh, prosecution. When you you look at the city of uh, Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia, Amy Curlin said, well, we always see people who are uh, under investigation by by the FBI. Happens all the time. Most companies it happens to. 
the indictment is the issue for Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch. Now, he knows this information for him to say an indictment is coming. Well, he violated law there, Cliff. He violated law, interfered with commerce, and caused a stop on business wow. property solution so that the prosecution could go forward. These are the type of things. And then the what, what's even worse is when this was brought to the attention of Judge Christine Arguello in the IRP6 case, she said, I am not going to allow this information to come up in trial. How is that justice? Well, what you didn't know, it is not justice. And we have uh, Philadelphia in the works of implementing and keeping Philadelphia safe. We have a AUSA, Matthew Kirsch, that steps in in violation of federal law, who broke the law. Who broke the law, impeded the sale, so... To build a case. To build the case. So I voluntarily premeditated acts that would ensure I can give the perception to a jury and to a judge that this was a crime. You created a crime. You created That never case. existed. You created a case. Lisa, you do how all sick this, is that? You do all this so that you can try to have a case. When had, you mind, had he just minded his own business and left things alone, there would never have been anything to take to court. Ladies and he would have had nothing. Well, without question, ladies and gentlemen of America, you don't have to be a law professor, you don't have to be a law student to see the clear violation of law. William, I, you know, the thing that really gets me is that this software, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked about the, the case. It was right there on the verge of being implemented in one of the largest law enforcement agencies in the country. Wow. One of the largest. Now, this was just going to be a start for, you know, I mean, you really have to look at this. You really have to look at this, and we need listeners to understand this picture. This man set this up. He set this up. He did this illegally. This software is viable. It would have prevented countless threats that Philadelphia, New York, Department of Homeland Security, our nation right now is facing right now is facing as a threat because we we just did the 911 show we're not any not any better as a country well, not any better well 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 spoken william and i'll tell you ladies and gentlemen when you lay down tonight understand the irp6 holds the key to keeping america safe what you didn't know is that the government of the united states namely matthew kirsch usa judge aguayo violated the law to create and to fabricate a crime that never happened. They sit wrongfully convicted in a cell tonight. They are the IRP6. We fight for justice for David Banks, Gary Walker, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, and Clinton Stewart. Justice we are fighting for. We plead to Congress, to the Department of Justice, to the President of the United States, to look into the conduct and the violation of the Constitution. We suggest this. What you didn't know about the IRP-6 will be continued. They are. We do have perpetrators of justice who are responsible for the wrongful conviction. As those six men, patriots of America, languish in a prison cell tonight. We suggest this. Lisa, who are they? The perpetrators of justice. We have U.S. Attorney John Walsh, Assistant U.S. Attorney Matthew Kirsch, Assistant U.S. Attorney Sunita Hazra, Attorney Greg Goldberg, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, 
Appellate Judge Jerome Holmes, Appellate Judge Bobby Baldock, Appellate Judge Harris Hart, Federal Judge R. Brooke Jackson, Magistrate Judge Craig Schaefer, Court Reporter Darlene Martinez, FBI Agent John Smith, FBI Agent Robert Moen, Former Federal Agent John Epke, Former Federal Agent Gary Hilberry, Attorney Thomas Goodread, Attorney Clifford Barnard, Attorney Thomas Richard, Attorney Robert Berger, Attorney Mitchell Baker, Attorney Boston Stanton Jr., Attorney Rick Cornfield, Attorney Mark Garagos, Susan Holland of EPI Professional, and Samuel K. Thurman. Yeah, those are the crooks. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen of America, the perpetrators of justice. Join us every show for what you didn't know about the RFP, and we are just getting started. Cliff? Yes, I want to say thank you to all of our callers, everybody in the chat room. For all of your interaction, we do appreciate it. I want to say thank you to K&D Productions, Captain Kyle and Dustin Jackson, helping out the honeycomb kids. So make sure that you hear what it is that we have to say. Also, I want to say thank you to our production support team. They give us accurate and up-to-date information so we can pass that on to you. And to the truth, we know that you're out there. We appreciate it. And thank you, Cliff, for that. And join us. Uh, and all the archives of our program are on AJCRadio.com. You can go to AJustCalls.com. Uh, Is it hyphen? I believe it's hyphen. A hyphen. Thank you, Lisa, calls. for that. And FreeTheIRP6.org. You will find all information, press releases. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we'll say it, we said it once. We'll say it again tonight. Lady Justice has gone missing. We need to find her that justice would prevail for the IRP6. Again, we reach out to the members of Congress, the Department of Justice, the Inspector General, to the President, to the Vice President, to the Attorney General. Every uh, point of government, we are asking for justice. And as these patriots sit in a prison cell tonight with the key to keep the homeland safe, we cannot be silent. This is AJC Radio bringing the message of justice all around the world. I'm Lamont Banks for Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, William Williams. We seek for justice. Have a good night. Night. Do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you will take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you are about to enter, so help you God. Congratulations. You're now members of the 114th Congress. 36 years ago, the people of Delaware gave me, uh, as they've given you in your states, a rare and sacred opportunity to serve them. As I said after the accident, I was prepared to walk away in 1973 from that opportunity. But men like Ted Kennedy and Mike Mansfield and Hubert Humphrey, Fritz Hollings, Danny Inouye, they convinced me to stay. To stay six months, Joe. Remember, Danny? Just stay six months. And one of the true giants of the Senate, who thank God is still with us, Robert C. Byrd, without any fanfare in late December in a cold driving rain, drove to Wilmington, Delaware, stood outside a memorial service at a Catholic church for my deceased wife and daughter, that's soaking wet in that cold rain, 
never once came to see me. Just to show his respect, got back in the automobile and drove back to Washington, D.C. It's a remarkable place, gentlemen, ladies. And as I healed, this place became my second family. More than I suspected is for most, I needed it. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Forever grateful. So to the people of Delaware who have given me the honor of serving them, there's no way I can ever, ever express to them how much it's meant to me. To my staff, past and present, and all those here on the floor, past and present, dedicated to making this institution run, including the young pages who come wide-eyed and hopefully go home, wanting to come back someday in our spots. I thank you for everything you've done for me. And I suspect you've done for me more than been done for most. My children, Hunter and Ashley and Bo, if I was nothing else, I'd be content to be the father of such wonderful people. My grandchildren would constantly remind me why the decisions we make in this august body are so important. And to my Jill, you once saved my life. You are my life today. I thank all of you. Thank all of my colleagues for making my Senate service possible and this next chapter in my career and life so hopeful. I came here to fight for civil rights. My, in my office now sits that grand conference table that once was used to fight against civil rights. And I leave here today to begin my service to our nation's first African-American president.